with me just for a second. We're going to turn the lights off. Um, I'm going to read a verse, John chapter 1, verse 4. You don't have to read it because it's too dark. John chapter 1, verse 4 says, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Um, if you had told me 10 years ago or whenever I first got a cell phone that the feature I would use the most on my cell phone was a flashlight, I would have said, you're crazy. I mean, that just doesn't make sense. A flashlight, and you, it's like, I, it's my go-to all the time. Now, I don't want to, like, ruin anybody's eyesight here, shine it in your face, but I have found this flashlight to be so useful, and I don't know exactly what happened. If there was a meeting at Apple headquarters, and some guy raised his hand kind of meekly and said, hey, uh, you know, as we're adding all this stuff, the touch screen and the cool features and the games and Angry Birds and all that, I got an idea. Why don't we put a flashlight on it? I mean, who thought that was a good idea? But this is literally the thing that I use. I shouldn't say literally. I don't know if I've actually timed it. But the thing that I use more than anything else. So if I wake up before my wife, I get my phone out. And even if I'm not using the flashlight, I use like the screen itself. So I don't like bang my shins on the bed. Or if, you know, a kid loses something under the couch. Well, I whip out my cell phone and I look under the couch. And I'm trying to help them find that thing. But if somebody had told me like the thing you're going to use the most on your phone is this flashlight... I would have been like, there's no way. Now, I know some of you are like, hey, he's got his phone up on stage. I'm going to pull out my phone, and I'm going to send him a lot of texts, try to blow it up. I got the sound off, so just, just uh, I, I'm aware of what you guys are thinking out there. Now, we're, we're, we have the lights off because this really can't do it justice, but again, it may be a little theatrical, but if you had lived thousands of years ago, you would have had a different relationship to light and darkness than we do uh, today. Now, light pollution, if you go outside at night, you can't really see the stars. You can see a few, a handful of them. But if you've ever been like way out in the desert where there's no lights or way up in the mountains where, you know, the air is a little bit more thin, you've seen like the stars in the sky. And you can imagine that people who lived in the darkness had a little bit of a different relationship to the light than we do. They couldn't just whip out their cell phones every time something happened. And you can even imagine that if somebody were like disoriented and they're wandering around in the wild and they don't have their torch with them, or they don't have whatever it is with them, that they would start to get a little nervous and you'd, you wouldn't be able to like see the ambient light from a city and be able to walk toward whatever it was. You would get disoriented and lost. And I mean, you can imagine how light and darkness became a metaphor for life and death. Life and darkness, or excuse me, light and darkness in the Bible, but in other places as well, became a metaphor for life and death. You can go ahead and turn the lights back on for me, Jordan. Um, now, for some of you weren't in the darkness that, that long, but even, even just there, you're kind of squinting a little bit, getting used to the light again. And we don't want to talk about that idea in just a second and how easy it is to get used to the darkness and the darkness that's around us, metaphorically speaking. So I'm, we're going to read a verse later in the book of John that I think really employs this metaphor well, but I think in order to fully engage with the verse, we have to understand the setting. It's not just simply the co-text and the context and the verses before and after. We have to understand the setting within which Jesus spoke these words. 
So today, September 30th, actually marks the end of a Hebrew festival, and it's called the Festival of Tabernacles. I know we all celebrate, right? It's a big family holiday for you. But it still is being celebrated to to this day, and what it is is it's a reminder for the Hebrew people of how God provided for them in the wilderness. So they're wandering through the wilderness for 40 years, and they're living in tents, and you remember they had the tabernacle that they had where God, you know, dwelt, and then they would pack up and they would move on. It's called the Festival of tabernacles and and they try to recreate through ceremonies some of the elements of wandering in the wilderness. So one of the things they do for nearly a week is they build these little tents that they live in for a week and they have these ceremonies that have to do with like water and getting water from the rock if you're familiar with some of those stories. Um, But one of the ceremonies they have to do that has to do with uh, is light and in the temple courtyard back when there was a temple uh, on the Temple Mount, they would have these giant lanterns or torches or candles. I mean, just these huge like lights that they would light up at night. And rabbinical historians tell us that you could see the light for miles. One guy said you could actually see it for, for 70 miles, which I don't think with the curvature of the earth and all that, it's actually true. But it just lit up the town around them. And, and then what would happen is that people in their own homes and in their own courtyards would get kind of excited about this and they would light up their own candles and their own menorahs, their own lanterns and their own courtyards. And so the city of Jerusalem would just be lit up. The city on a hill would just be completely, you know, blazing for miles around. Everybody could see it. And then right in the center, the brightest part of the light was the temple where the presence of God was. So you can imagine this is the the festival. And according to the passage we're about to read, Jesus was participating in Jerusalem in this festival. And he was actually at the temple when he's speaking the words we're about to read. This is so cool. He says in John chapter 8, in the temple, in the treasury of the temple, he says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, when you read the setting of that, isn't that a cool passage? That's pretty neat. I don't know if the lights were on behind him or if they had just dimmed them because the festival was about to be over. But whatever it was, maybe there's these huge candles, these huge torches behind Jesus. And I imagine this very dramatic, you know, the priest is getting up on this ladder and he's lighting them. And it's just, the lights start blazing up and the whole, the whole city of Jerusalem, it's twilight, starts getting light. And Jesus stands in front of this group of people, some of his followers and some of skeptics. And he says, I am the light of the world. You can see the major claim that he's making. This isn't just some sort of like confusing metaphor that people are like, well, yeah, I guess I kind of get it. You have some insight. You have some truth. But he's saying something dramatic to the people to whom he's speaking. This is pretty fascinating to me. The ceremony of light and in the middle of it, Jesus makes this unbelievable statement. Now, it's an interesting statement for us just to read on its face value. It's pretty interesting. But when you understand the historical setting in which Jesus spoke, wow, Jesus did not mess around, folks. Man, he was quite the teacher. He had a little bit of a flair for drama, I would think, as well, when you're reading this. We're wrapping up this series called uh, Follow. And what we've been doing for the last four weeks is we, we've been trying to describe what it would have been like to actually be 
around Jesus, like that experience of being around Jesus, not just reading the scriptures and saying, oh, Jesus said, love your neighbors or love your enemies, but just to actually be around him. What would it have been like? And we've been reading in the gospel of John as John, this apostle who followed Jesus around and felt loved by Jesus, would sit down and he would try to articulate for generations to come what it was like to be around Jesus. And one of the things he said, he goes, Jesus, remember, we talked about this a few weeks ago, like Jesus had life. But in this verse, in John chapter 1, verse 4, he says Jesus had this life and it was the light. Like the experience of being around Jesus was like seeing a light in the distance when you're lost in the darkness. And you can imagine what that would have felt like for people to sense that experience of hope. Like, hey, there is a beacon of light. There is that city on the hill. There is that person that is shining in the midst of all this darkness. And that's what it was like to be around Jesus. I am the light of the world. Darkness is a metaphor for evil. But it's, and, and every time like you get your phones out and you get like a breaking news alert on your phone, you're getting a, a notification of evil in the world is essentially what you're getting. Something bad has happened. There's no breaking news for good things. Man rescues puppy from flood. That's not breaking news. The breaking news is always bad stuff, and you're getting a notification. Think about that. You have set yourself a reminder on your phones to tell you about the evil in the world. I just last week, because of this, I was like, I can't do that anymore. This is awful. The world is a horrible place. It's a dark place, and I don't want to be reminded every time more darkness occurs. I mean, it's ridiculous. But darkness is a metaphor for evil, but it's not just a metaphor for evil. It's also a metaphor for ignorance, and it's the evil that is done in ignorance. Where people just, where Jesus on the cross, when they're, you know, like laughing and making fun of him, and he says, Father, forgive them. Why? They're they're confused. It's not simply darkness. It's also confusion. So when we turn on the lights, it can be a little uncomfortable for us. You've been in a dark room and suddenly someone turned on the lights and you've been like, oh, because we got used to the darkness. And guess what, church? If we're not careful, we're getting used to the darkness. We're getting used to the darkness in the world around us. And it doesn't bother us. And our eyes have adjusted. And then when we see Christ, we're like, well, it's a little bright, man. Can you turn it down just a little bit? Can you just, you know, maybe like you have a dimmer switch, Jesus, because that's a little much. But being around Jesus was like seeing a light in the distance when you're lost in the darkness. The other day I was doing a little home improvement work at my house. And if you've been over to my house, you know that that's been like a continual truth for the last uh, seven or eight years that I've lived at this place. It's continually in a process of home improvement. And what happens is whatever is the most urgent project kind of gets bumped to the top of the list. and Everything gets neglected until it gets urgent, right? Uh, And so I, I had to rewire a couple of light switches in my house. Now, I am... um. What's a nice way to say idiot? I don't know. I probably, because I'm not supposed to use idiot from the stage. But whatever that word is, I'm not a smart guy. And so I have tried to rewire light switches without turning the electricity off in the house. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing I'm here, folks, right? Where do you think I get this energy, right? It's not caffeine. Like, I'm... But anyway... I've done that enough times. I even worked as an electrician's apprentice when I was younger, and I should know better. But I decided this time I'm going to do it by the book. I'm going to go in my garage, and I'm going to turn off the breaker so that the electricity going to these lights is all off, and it'll be great. I'm also not a very organized person. 
And so I go in my garage ready to rewire these lights and I go from the door from the house and I walk all the way across my garage and I have to navigate my garage a little bit because it's not the most tidy place in the world. We're parking in the driveway uh, not because the garage is clean, right? The garage has some junk and I would like to blame the kids but it's mostly me. But I mean there's like lawn mowers and snow blowers and bikes and you know, stuff that I need to take to the dump and all, all this kind of stuff in my garage. So I go all the way to the far side of my garage and I turn off the light switches and immediately, without thinking, I realize I'm plunged into darkness in this garage as well. Like it is pitch black and I did not bring my flashlight on my phone. And so I'm sitting on the far side of the garage and I can see a glimpse of light peeking through the doorway, you know, where the ambient light from outside is coming through. But I have to figure out how to navigate my way through my garage basically by sonar, like a bat, like feeling around, you know, like do I, I know there's a big thing here. I know there's a bike here. And so I'm slowly making my way through my garage. Now, Two things happen. I'm, I'm thinking about two things as I'm walking through there. Um, the number one thing I'm thinking about is Karine had told me earlier that day, Patrick, you should really clean out the garage. And I had said something to her of the effect, like, well, it's not really life or death. Turns out, you know, it turns out it was. It was life or death. She was right, once again. But the second thing I'm thinking as I'm walking through there is like, this is a perfect illustration for my sermon. As long as I survive this experience to the door, I'm going to tell the church, because this is absolutely perfect, that we live in a world that is plunged into darkness, and most of the time, people are just feeling their way around. And sometimes they're doing so confidently, but they come up to us and they say, this is the truth, this is the way, this is the light. And you're like, how do you know? You're in the same dark garage that I am. There's only one truth, there's only one way, there's only one light, and that's Jesus Christ. And if somebody's pointing us in a direction that's not him, It's not the truth. It's not the way. Outside of Christ, we are literally stumbling around in life. We may not like to think that, but the most confident inspirational speaker on YouTube, the most confident author that has written a self-help book, if they're not pointing you to Jesus, they're just stumbling around in a different direction in the darkness than you are. Because outside of Christ, we are inevitably stumbling around, and we are guaranteed to hurt ourselves. Guaranteed to hurt ourselves. Because we are not going to make it through life, we're not going to make it through navigating the darkness without causing some damage to ourselves or others. Outside of Christ, people are just blindly guessing the way forward. And if that's not enough, here's the danger. The danger of staying in the darkness. The danger of getting used to the darkness. We mentioned earlier that um, the city has been kind enough to cut off navigation to the building from all directions, and I showed you a couple maps. How many of you saw those maps and this thought entered your mind? Maybe it wasn't the final thought that entered your mind, but this thought came into your mind. I might just skip church for the next couple weeks. Some of you thought that exact thing. Why? Because confusion inevitably paralyzes us. When we get confused, we just want to stop and we want to give up. And so when you see a complex map like, well, no song service, no sermon by Patrick, no classes worth navigating that mess, I'm confused and I'm going to stop. And I had that thought. I was like, this is so uh, frustrating because people won't come to church. We're not going to get any drive-by visitors to to church for the next few weeks because you can't drive by church. And I was like, ah, it's so frustrating. And then I thought, our church family, are there going to be people that don't show up to church because it's hard to get here and it's confusing? And then I thought, no, not our church. People are showing up at our church. People love our church too much. And so you better 
back me up on that. Or you better have a really good excuse for not showing up the next couple weeks. This is going to be true for, for two Sundays. But confusion and darkness eventually paralyzes and makes us want to give up. And so if we're living in the darkness, we, our tendency is to want to give up. Because we don't know the way forward. We don't know what we're supposed to be doing. The world is a dark place and sometimes we just want to give up. We don't want to try. It's hard. It's hard. It's confusing. And you're listening to the news, or you're listening to good advice from people who don't know much more than you do, and it's confusing and it makes you want to stop and give up. But the experience of seeing Christ was like seeing a glimmer of light in that darkness. It was motivating. But more than that, it gave you hope to see Christ, to see the light. So Jesus says in this John chapter 8, verse 12, he says, when Jesus spoke to the, again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world because the world is a dark place. And he says, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. It's a pretty straightforward verse, but I think he says something in an interesting way there that I want to call your attention to. Uh, many of you taught your kids to ride bikes, right? Now, if you think about it, you can't teach your kid to ride a bike. You can't teach your child to ride a bike. You know that, right? You can't teach them to ride a bike. You can't take your four-year-old or five-year-old or six-year-old and sit them down in front of you and say, all right, here are the ins and outs of riding a bicycle. Here's my whiteboard. Here's the algorithms. Here's all the things that you need to know in order to ride a bike. You can't do that. What do you do to teach your child to ride a bike? You put them on a bike. And you say, uh, you're going to crash a couple times here, and that's why the knee pads and the elbow pads and the chest pads and the face pads and the head pads, that's why we got all that, because you're going to crash, but the only way to actually learn this is by doing it. Uh, imagine your child, your four-year-old or whoever, however old your child was, and, uh, and they say to you, like, Father, I would love to learn how to ride a bike, but... Before I learn how to ride a bike, I need to know the details. I need to know the physics of riding this bike. I need to know all the ins and outs of riding this bike before I will get on that bike and ride that bike. Imagine your child said that to you. And so what would you do in that scenario? You would do what most of us do and we would Google it, right? We would Google, how do you ride a bike? And we might, maybe we would Google balance, right? Because that's the thing. How do you balance? And so I looked up the Wikipedia definition of balance for you. And I'm going to butcher the pronunciation of a couple words because this is complex. Balance is called equilibrioception. Did you know that? Four-year-old, did you know that? Equilibrioception. That's what you're going to need to maintain here on your bike. It's when the vestibular system works with the visual system to keep objects in focus when the head is moving. This is called the vestibulo-vestibule-ocular reflex. You got that? Let's hear that spelling. Visual signals sent to the brain about the body's position in relation to its surroundings are processed by the brain and compared to information from the vestibular, visual, and skeletal systems. Okay, my child, now you know how to ride a bike. Off you go, Right? What would happen? Same thing that would happen if you didn't tell him any of that, right? <laughs> In this verse, Jesus has, I think, a notable turn of phrase. He says, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. A child has to experience balance to learn to ride a bike. I believe we actually have to follow Jesus to be in the light. You can't learn enough about Jesus. 
You can't read enough books about Jesus. You can't hear enough sermons about Jesus. You can't sing enough songs about Jesus. You, if you want to walk in the light, you actually have to follow Jesus. And this is where it gets tricky, especially for those of us with the Church of Christ background that really enjoy the knowledge aspect of this relationship with God. We want to fill our heads with more knowledge and more knowledge and more knowledge. We're like that four-year-old sitting on the stool and the dad's explaining balance to them. But what God is asking us to do is, I want you to get up off the stool and I want you to go follow. And then you will have the experience of being in the light. That experience of Jesus shining in the darkness it occurs because we're following Jesus it's not simply knowing about Jesus. And I don't, don't hear me diminish the knowledge of Jesus. Hear me diminish the fact that we never get up off the stool and follow. We're not obedient. You've heard the quote, I wish I knew who it was, but Christians are educated well beyond their level of obedience. That's us. We know plenty. That's time to do. It's time to do. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Jesus tells us we got to forgive, Right? He says, the way you forgive others is the way I'll forgive you. All right, knowledge, we got it. I can read about forgiveness. I can learn about the right words to say in the experience of forgiveness. I can study the psychology of forgiveness. But I will never experience the light of Christ until I actually begin the process of forgiveness. Of actually doing what God has asked me to do. It's in the actual act of following Jesus that we experience him as light. Now, this is obviously much easier said than done because the experience of following Jesus is often counterintuitive, meaning that what seems like the right direction to go is not necessarily the right direction to go. Um, earlier this month, I guess at the beginning of this month, we, uh, I took my kids to the state fair, and I took them on Labor Day, which is traditionally the, the, the most populated day. I don't know, glutton for punishment. And uh, we bought a bunch of midway tickets, and we made our way down to the rides, and the kids wanted to ride a few different rides. And those rides, like, rides can be terrifying anyway, but then knowing the fact that these are, like, you know, rusty, pinned together, some duct tape, like, I mean, this is just, it heightens the experience of danger. But one of my, uh, my, my son uh, wanted to, he wanted to walk through one of those uh, mirror mazes. And my other daughters didn't want to do it, and I didn't want to take up my kids' ticket, so I was like, all right, you know, hey, buddy, all right, you're on your own, okay? You got the mirror maze. You got this. You can do this. You got this, you know, and I'm trying to hype him up. Now, the maze was kind of cool. <laughs> Maybe embarrassing him a little. The maze was kind of cool in that you can see into the maze, and you can see the people navigating through it, right? So there's all these people walking through, and Liam gets in there, and he's walking through, and he gets to this one point where the way forward is actually behind him. And he's feeling the walls. He's doing all the stuff, you know, but it's behind him. And I'm outside there, and I'm like, hey, buddy, it's behind you. He can't hear me through there. Now, there's people navigating their way through, and I'm like, follow the people ahead of you. And he can't hear me, right? So he's making his way through there. And uh, he, he makes his way back to the front, and he's like, all right, try this again. Makes his way. And I'm starting to get nervous for him because I know the longer uh, someone gets confused, the more likely they are to get anxious and stressed and nervous and want to give up. And I want him to have a good experience in the mirror maze, right? So I don't want him to get anxious and nervous and stressed and give up. And I'm like, follow the people. Like, there's people going right by you, and he's not noticing the people that are making their way forward right by him. And he makes his way to the beginning again. I'm like, follow the people. Finally, he's like, oh, okay. And he follows the people and makes it through. But doesn't that feel like us? Like life is this confusing mirror maze? And God's like, all right, forgive, love. 
be generous, be sacrificial. And we're like, I don't know how this works, God. And God's like, fine, I'm going to have to send somebody down there to lead them through the maze because they're not figuring it out. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to light the way for us. But it doesn't do us any good if we're just hanging out on the stool, learning more. Church, we've got to get up and follow. We have got to follow. And it's through following that I believe what he's saying here. It's through the process of following that we experience the light. We'll never walk in darkness if we follow. We'll always have Jesus leading the way. Life is confusing. Life is strange. We're going to experience evil and sorrow. And we're going to experience struggle. But... Jesus says, I know the way out of sin. I know the way out of darkness. I know the way out of hopelessness. I know the way out of sorrow. I know the way. And as simple as it is, we have to follow. And so I want you to think about your own lives because there may be some ways that you're following Jesus in some areas and certain things. But I want you to think about the totality of your life and think about the areas of your life that you are not following Jesus and those areas that are confusing, those areas that feel hopeless and those areas that feel like a struggle. And to know that if we get up off the stool and follow, that's when we'll experience Jesus as the light. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we are grateful to be able to gather together and think about truths, Lord. But there is only so much that we need to know before we need to make a move. And Lord, I pray for our church family. I pray for myself. I pray that you would convict us of those areas in which we are learning, but we're not doing. I pray that you'd convict us of those areas where we have knowledge, but we are not following. Lord, help us to be a church that walks in the light because we follow you. Lord, thank you for being a light. Thank you for sending Christ as a light for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed. Go get your shirts and your car decals and your stickers, and we'll see you next Sunday.